Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. Well, it's finally up. The Indiegogo campaign has launched, and we're moving forward to try to go for a not-for-profit gaming wiki. And to be honest, I'm really excited to see what happens. Even if it's a failure and I only make a couple of grand, you know, the website will still happen. I'll still just release it to the public, and it just won't be a not-for-profit company, and I can't pay for extra features or to have the content moved over, but... We could all work on it together, and maybe I could use the money to pay off the huge amount of debt I stuck on my credit card to make this website happen. I don't think anybody would be upset by that. It's still literally money paying for the website, but, you know, in my opinion, even a, a failure is still still a success, because it still ends up in a good website. And based on just the first day, you know, it looks like it's not a total flop. So thank you so much to everybody that's donated. And who knows, maybe we could finally get some recognition from some of the bigger YouTubers or some of the guys that are huge on Twitter and and really make people aware of this. Because I think that's a, a huge problem is people, even if they see it, might not understand what it is. I've gotten very few negative feedback so far, but from what I have gotten, it seems to be people that just don't get it. And some people just hear the basic idea of the campaign and they just assume I'm somebody trying to capitalize on the retro gaming boom and don't realize I'm trying to do this for archival purposes, not to not to try to pocket any money. If I end up with the, the minimum target amount, the only money that I personally will get out of this is to pay off the credit card that I've uh, you know put all of the stuff that I needed for the website on it. So maybe they think I'm just trying for a quick cash grab or something. I, I don't know, but... You know, any any concerns like that, just just tell anybody to feel free to reach out to me. You know, it's easy for this stuff to snowball. Some Facebook group goes nuts and thinks I'm just trying to scam everybody. So if you guys are out there in any of these circles and hear people not liking it, just tell them to reach out to me. Or even just, you know, give that video a watch and try to understand what exactly it is that I'm trying to do. Because I really am just trying to make a difference and get this thing running. And if for some crazy stretch of the imagination we get a ton of great funding, I promise I'm going to use the money to do good stuff with it. I'm not going to take off and go on some retro gaming vacation to Japan and blow all the money. It's going to go to a location and, you know, who knows if uh, in a perfect world maybe I would get enough to hire myself to, to, to do it. You know, not a million bucks a year either, a small, small salary to do it. But, you know, I would happily take a pay cut from my day job in order to do this for a living. So, uh, I don't know, the sky's the limit. And if anybody, the, the best way that you guys could help is just donate a little bit, but get the word out. That's that's important. Because, you know, 100 people donating 100 bucks is freaking awesome. But 10,000 people donating 5 bucks is a lot more. So, <laughs> you know, just get the word out. If you believe in this stuff as much as I do, just... You know, anything you can to spread the word and maybe get some of these guys with bigger followers to understand what it is I'm trying to do and hopefully jump on board and help promote it. 
But enough of my rambling. Uh, you guys know, um, anybody that watches the podcast probably already understands what I'm trying to do. So let's go right into the news. First up, I actually forgot to add something to last week's roundup. Voltar posted a video about a NES RGB installation that was giving some weird errors and showed some good tips on how to minimize any of the screen artifacts or any weirdness you might get with pretty much any analog installation. Things like the voltage regulator and tidying up wires for interference issues. But uh, Voltar was very upset. He gave me many, many lashings for forgetting to talk about that. So I'm very sorry, Voltar. I'm sorry. It looks like Nintendo is shutting down the Miiverse in Japan. It's going to happen on November 8th at 3pm local time, and it's going to affect more than 70 Wii U games and 20 3DS titles. So, you know, stuff like this is kind of annoying, because what about the games that really heavily rely on things like this? And it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it's kind of proof that physical copies of games and things that don't require networking to play is really a necessity. So, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure what the best solution for anything like this is, but I'm all ears. Snailtooth Gaming just posted a great article about Extron crosspoints and their sync output. They used an oscilloscope to test a few different models of crosspoints, as well as with different consoles, and found that regardless of what sync you put in, and regardless of what those dip switches some of them have are set for, it always outputs TTL-level sync. So if you're going to an RGB monitor, most likely that's fine. Almost every single PVM and BVM I've checked can accept that level sync. And if you want to check your own, just check in the manual. Uh, Usually it'll actually say the voltage specs, and some even have switches to go between 75 ohm and TTL. If you're going to a processor like a FrameMeister, you will just want one 470 ohm resistor on the sync line, which should bring the voltage down to be safe enough. And same with the open source scan converter. If you're using the VGA input, totally cool, you don't need anything at all. But if you're using the SCART input, just add one of those resistors to the sync line in your SCART head. So not a very big deal. Um, And, you know, it's really great that they took the time to test this. There are a ton of different model cross points, so it's possible that some output different, but I guess it's safer just to plan on TTL output because the worst thing that could happen is if you, uh, you know, if yours does output 75 ohm and you add the resistor, it just won't work. You'll get a black screen, so you'll know to remove it. So just no harm done, and uh, always, you know, for at least for testing, not for long use, but better to plug in with less resisted, uh, less voltage than more, um, just to be safe. So thanks to them for uh, taking the time to put a great article out and, uh, and doing the research. And if I ever get a hold of an oscilloscope, I will um, also double check their results as well. And I encourage anybody with a scope to do that just because why the heck not. It looks like there's still pre-order slots available for open source scan converters. I guess they're coming in two batches, and the main batch in September is all sold out, but the second batch that's arriving in late October or November, there's still a few slots open, so if you were looking to buy one, you would most likely get it by the end of this year, so definitely that second batch. Uh, And, you know, it's an absolute awesome piece of equipment, and I highly recommend it, so if you were thinking about getting one, now's definitely the time to grab one. Speaking of the OSSC, Becker has continued to work on the Wolf Edition, as he calls it, and he's made some progress so far, and one of the coolest things is he has a Daughterboard Edition. So that's going to be meant for things like maybe people could make a composite or S-video converter to put onto this, 
or pretty much you know anything that he could allow video input pins for. And I think this is a really great idea because some people might just want one or two extra features and some people might really need that one specific feature that nobody else does. So it'll keep the cost of the main product down while still offering that functionality. Um, no word on release date or a prototype yet, but I'll keep everybody posted. Well, there was a pre-order available for Street Fighter II 30th Anniversary Edition for SNES, but I guess it sold out all 5,500 copies between the time it launched and this podcast, so uh, I guess no one could get one now, but it's uh, it was kind of neat because there was a disclaimer that basically said, you know, this is, you know, this might set your console on fire, you're using old equipment, it was kind of hilarious actually, but when they were called out on that, it turned out that wasn't a joke, it was basically just reiterating what Renee had talked about a few months ago, about the dangers of using 3.3 volt chips on 5 volt cartridges, and, you know, the potential of overheating and what could happen. It was actually, you know, they were pretty cool about it, but... You know, this thing was neat, but it was definitely a collector's item because it's the same game that it always was. So if you want to play Street Fighter 2, just go to any game store and buy it for cheap. It's a, a really fun game, but it's not rare or expensive. And, you know, the only thing that I guess I disliked about this is while having a collector's edition of anything is kind of neat. I mean, it would look great on a wall. I would have much rather had something better that they could have done, like re-release Wily Wars worldwide on Genesis. You know, the, the community already hacked it to make it better, so you could just take that and with Capcom's permission, slap it on some cartridges and make a ton of money off of that. I mean, I absolutely would have bought an official Wily Wars, even if it was 3.3 volts. So who knows, maybe next time, but uh, I hope any collectors that got it does an unboxing video and we can see what it looks like. It looks like the sequel to Super Meat Boy is coming to the Switch next year, as well as PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, iOS, and Android. So they're pretty much being released on everything. And uh, it, I remember seeing the original a bunch of times, but I never actually played it, and it looked very cool. So this will definitely be on my list of things to pick up for the Switch. A prototype of the NES version of SimCity was just shown on the internet, and while no ROM has been released yet, it's pretty neat to see that it was actually up and running on an old NES console. But hopefully someday people will rip the ROM and share it with the community, as well as, you know, obviously be able to archive it forever. So, cool find. Marcus has released all the files for his digital CPS2 board, so anybody with the skills can make their own and have up to 1080p HDMI out from those old Street Fighter CPS2 arcade machines. Um, it's pretty hard to make one of those, so if you know what you're doing, definitely go for it, but this is not a beginner or intermediate project, and hopefully I'll have one to test soon. Woozle just uploaded a few videos of his Game Boy Advance HDMI mod, and he'd actually added color tone selection to it, so you could switch between what you might have seen on the original GBA and the raw color output. It's very cool. Um, he was having one weird issue that maybe any GBA programmers might have some um, some insight on, but basically some Game Boy Advance games use a flicker effect where a pixel will flicker between two colors rapidly. On a display with poor response time, like the GBA LCDs, um, or when using blurry bilinear, bilinear interpolation, like on the Game Boy Player, the two colors smear into one and you can't notice the flicker. It's noticeable on NES Classic Series Super Mario and the first Golden Sun Overworld. 
So, it, you know, uh, I have a video of it up here for people watching, but does anybody have any insight on that? I'm wondering if uh, Extrems is watching or anybody that's done GBA programming, but maybe somebody could lend a hand because I'd really like to see this go to market. Critch just received prototypes of his Genesis wireless controller. I guess he had custom shells made and he has his PCB together for a wireless six button Sega Genesis controller. So it's pretty neat and I'm looking forward to checking it out whenever it comes to market. Smoke Monster just passed me a cool link to a new Vectrix game, which looks really awesome. I haven't had a chance to plug it into my Vectrix yet, but uh, I mean, I'm just really glad that people are still creating unique games for such a, uh, a very cool and different console. I do love the vector graphics on it, so hopefully I'll get a chance to try it out, and thanks very much to, uh, to the developer for just releasing it to the public. My Life in Gaming just posted a video about the Sega Ages series, so those are the remakes of some of the classic Sega games, and to be honest, I didn't even know that some of those existed, um, and some of them look terrible <laughs> so if you want to see for yourself definitely check out the the awesome video i mean those guys always make phenomenal videos so um you know what to expect with them but it was very interesting to me just to see games in a different way especially because i'd never even uh, realized that some of those remakes were like that but interesting stuff it looks like Jeremy Parrish got an early look at Samus Returns, the Metroid 2 remake, and he had a pretty interesting write-up and a very detailed write-up about the differences between the two games. So I don't want to have any spoilers here on it because it's not out yet, but if anybody's interested, definitely check out the link. The game Blue's Journey is going to be released on the Switch tomorrow, September 7th. And I actually got a chance to play that game on an original AES because that's one of the few Neo Geo games that isn't through the roof expensive. And it seemed neat because I don't really find... I think that might be one of the only just side-scrolling Mario-style games on, uh, on the Neo Geo because it's mostly fighting games and shooters and stuff like that. And uh, I remember watching the James and Mike Monday for that as well, and I think they liked it too. So it was a pretty neat game and certainly a different take on Neo Geo games. So if you're interested, uh, definitely check out the video and, uh, and you know buy it tomorrow on the Switch. The new Genesis game Paprium has been delayed till early 2018, but it doesn't seem like it's at all the fault of the developer. Apparently, PayPal locked all of their account and funds because so much money came in, they assumed there was something going on. And that's actually happened to two other people in the retro gaming scene just in the past year or so alone. So PayPal is just really getting just excruciating to work with. And they said they used their own money to try to get this off the ground and that it will be released in early 2018. And I just want to reassure everybody that their money is not lost. And if anybody wants a refund, they can still get it. So I feel really bad because that's not their fault at all. And uh, I really hope it all gets worked out. And I hope we all learn a lesson to not use PayPal. It looks like the VR game Duck Season is going to be released on September 14th on Steam VR and Oculus Home. And that's that 3D virtual reality game that's kind of like Duck Hunt, but then the dog comes after you. I talked about it a few months ago. It looked really cool. And while I don't have any real VR setup other than the silly thing that you slide your cell phone into, um, it seems awesome and it seems like something I would love to give a try. So I believe that uh, VR Expo is coming to, coming to New York City next month, so maybe I'll get to check it out then. But if you have Steam VR or Oculus Home, it seems like a pretty awesome game to buy. 
There's now a 3D printable version of the multi-out port for the Nest top loader available on Thingverse. And this is absolutely awesome, and I'm always really excited when stuff like this gets donated to the community, because while 3D print designs are not nearly as high quality as like official plastic, this, in my opinion, is the perfect use for it, because now by doing this, you don't have to cut any original plastic, you could just take the piece off and replace it with this, and because it sits in back, you don't really see it, so you could have something that fits very nice, and might not be as pretty as, you know, an expensive uh, molded design so uh, i mean i don't know i think this is absolutely awesome and thanks very much to nathan to donating it to the community and anybody with a top loader that was looking to do an srgb mod i mean this is kind of the way to go the MSU audio versions of Mario Kart and Street Fighter have both been released, as well as a second version of Street Fighter and a version of Mario Kart with the Street Fighter characters driving the carts. So they've been hard at work on these things, and they came out absolutely awesome. So anybody that, uh, that wants to download these, I have the links in the description to make your own, and I believe they'll be on the Smoke Monster packs soon enough. So uh, yeah, very awesome work. RetroTink's YouTube channel has showed off a couple of prototype products that might make it to market soon. The first is a combined component video and VGA output version of their Raspberry Pi boards. And this is the same video quality as just the separate ones that they have, but all in one board, which is pretty neat. The one thing that they did add that's not available on the rest is a special chip that handles the sync generation. So things like uh, games that have odd sync timings or Sony BVMs that sometimes get weird with these things now don't have a problem at all. I talked to Mike and I asked if maybe he could use that technology to build a little box that does the AFC sync regeneration so people with PAL consoles that have issues or like the Sega Master System with the BKM68X boards, and he said he would look into it. So that would be one of the best solutions for people who have that 68X or some of the older version of BVMs. So you just plug your SCART cable into that. Other side is uh, BNC cables and you're good to go. Um, the other thing that he talked about was potentially making a line doubler that was fairly cheap. So this isn't something to compete with the OSSC. This would more compete with those GDS boards that actually aren't that great because they handle 240p as 480i, so it's not the best signal. This is something that would take care of that, and to be honest, I think there's a big use for line doubling like that. I think, at the very least, things like um, arcade tournaments and people that want to use VGA monitors because they can't find RGB monitors, little things like that would just really make it a very handy toy to own, in my opinion. So hopefully he could release that for pretty cheap, and I think that would uh, be a great addition to a lot of people's setups. So great work for Mike. I'm going to try to have him on here on the podcast soon. But um, yeah, I mean, excellent work that he's been doing, and I hope that he continues to do it. A video game con is happening this Saturday and Sunday in New Jersey. And yes, it's called a video game con, AVGC. Um, but it's happening September 9th and 10th in Parsippany, New Jersey. 
And I'm pretty sure Scott and I will be there on Saturday. I might be back on Sunday, depending if I get to meet up with some people. Um, there's a couple of guys I've really wanted to interview over the years that will be there, so hopefully they'll give me the time of day and even know who I am or anything. But if you guys are going to be there, definitely tweet at me. Um, you know, I'll keep my phone glued to me, and if, if you guys see me, just come right over and say hello. I'd love to meet as many of you guys as I can. Uh, I know there's already going to be a bunch of people I know there, so it should be exciting. It should be a fun day. I just wanted to mention quickly that I spoke to Michael from Badass Consoles, and I he think he's doing okay. So for anybody that doesn't know, um, he lives in Texas, kind of close to where the flooding was. Um, I had a friend right outside of that town as well, and I started to see the scary pictures come in. So I texted him right away, uh, and he and I have a twisted sense of humor, so I just texted him, so you could swim, right? <laughs> and then I didn't hear from him for like 12 hours, and I started to get nervous, like, oh shit, I wonder, I wonder how bad it was. But apparently his house didn't get destroyed, um, he and his family is okay, so I just wanted to let everybody know, because anybody that's ever been through a life-changing thing like that before... You know, you could see it on TV, but until you've been in that moment where you've almost had everything taken away, or, I mean, if you're one of the unfortunate people that has had everything taken away, it's terrifying. So I just wanted to, you know, just to give a shout out to him, because it's, it's really easy when we're getting in these awesome nerdy debates to, to forget that we're all just people. I know, here's a, a nerdy Bob PSA, sorry guys, but... I just, I don't know, I wanted to give my well wishings to him and everybody who lives around there who, you know, probably did not have a very good couple of weeks. Um, I haven't heard from him since the worst of it, so I assume he's still okay. Uh, I texted again, but I never heard back, but I that was after the worst of it. And it's not unlike Michael to, to miss a text or two, so I believe he's still going doing okay. I just wanted to let everybody know and, uh, you know, just send my well wishes to him and all of my friends that live out there that were sending me terrifying pictures and you know anybody else in the area so just a big shout out to all those guys okay on a much lighter note now it's time for this month's patreon giveaway so this this item comes from a guy in australia who just really wanted to give back to the retro gaming community and who wanted to donate this to the patreon so uh chris from australia i, I can't thank you enough he sent me this, as well as a couple of extra PS, uh, PSUs he had laying around, and some awesome Australian chocolate. But he was also nice enough to send me doubles of the chocolate, so while my wife and I absolutely inhaled those while watching a movie, I brought the doubles to a really good friend of mine who's from Canberra, another part of Australia. I'm probably saying that very un-Australian, so excuse me to my Aussie friends. But uh, yeah, so he just, um, he, he made my wife and I's night very happy. He made my Australian friend who's in Stanford, Connecticut, really happy. And now he's going to make one of you guys really happy as well. So lots of love from Chris from Australia. Really just appreciate shit like this so much. And I just, I can't believe people were nice enough to donate. You know, you had Firebrand X, you had Jody with Genesis, you had the rectal vision cables, which never ended up going to anybody i gotta get those back out but anyway i do have a couple of other awesome patreon giveaways uh, coming up uh, in the next few months but for now a hydra switch an eight port scart switch so um 
these things are pretty cool. Um, My Life in Gaming did a comparison. I've had, uh, I think, Mark or Corey sitting in that box back there for months. I'm just waiting to get an oscilloscope and do some more testing on these things um, because I really don't just want to do my picture testing. I want to get the signals. And I think their overall conclusion was that it works fine. Uh, I believe Chris said he liked the G-SCART better. But what the heck, it's an A-port SCART switch, so I'm sure whoever gets this is, uh, if they have more than one SCART device, here you go. Um, the only thing is I believe it requires just a standard um, higher amperage USB power supply, which I think I have, but if not, like uh, use in something powerful enough for a tablet, not for just a phone. I'm pretty sure I'll be able to throw it in uh, into the box, but I'll have to go hunting for it, so... All right, let's get ready for the drawing. Uh, can't wait to see who gets this. Awesome SCART switch from Chris from Australia, the Hydra switch. So here we go. Let's hit up the, the spin wheel. All right, everybody. So the winner for this month's Patreon giveaway, the Hydra switch, is... Fingers crossed. Jeremiah Shiflet. I think that's how you say it. All right, dude, I hope you needed a SCART switch because now you absolutely have one. So thanks so much again to Chris for donating this, and thanks to you, Jeremiah, for donating to my Patreon because without you, there's no way I could do this stuff. On to the Q&As. First, a question from Trey Ozzy. Uh, he asked, why don't people just get the HDMI adapter for the Wii's that have GameCube support? And that's a great question, and the reason is that's not a true digital mod, that is an analog to digital adapter, and there's a few issues with that. The first is some of the Wii's with GameCube support, the video output quality wasn't as good as the GameCube's output, and while most people might not notice, if you're a hardcore GameCube fan playing on a high-end display, you're definitely going to notice. The other issue is, with those analog to digital adapters, there's no way to know what you're getting. The way it works with those OEM stuff from China is that you could buy three from the same manufacturer that look the same, the same packaging, and get three different guts. Or you could even have the opposite. You could buy three from three different manufacturers that all look different on the outside, but you open them up and they're all the same on the inside. So there's really no way to tell what you're getting. And some do a great job. Some do just a perfect, whatever the signal's going in, it spits out as uh, digital HDMI with no lag or no other processing. But some really is a picture quality difference. And whenever there's a weird processing issue, you never know if, uh, if there's any lag added. So the reason the GameCube one is so important is because I believe the GameCube is the only of the analog consoles that has actual digital pins on the outside. So things like a high-def NES, you get a true digital-to-digital -digital mod, but you have to take the console apart, you have to go directly to the PPU chip. Whereas on the GameCube, you just plug this thing in back, and it's equally as good as one of those internal mods. You get a true digital-to-digital -digital solution, and you really get the best output quality possible. So that's why so many people are really excited about this. And the way that the GameCube video is made, you actually don't have any lag at all. So it is kind of the perfect solution. Um, Trey also had a second question, but so did somebody else had the same one. So I'll get to that next. Next, Nicholas Nelson also asked about the GameCube video adapter. And he said he doesn't understand why the adapter was one piece right against the console. The weight and awkward protrusion are just asking for trouble. Why not a short cord going to a small adapter box? 
Well, uh, that's a good question. But first of all, in the case of the Zelda X Pro scenario, that wouldn't have helped because it still would have been that sandwich pin design with nothing separating the metal pins. So the short still could have happened if there was a good yank on it. The problem with that port was actually that you really need a uh, very custom proprietary thing to fit in it. So the only ways to do it would be to make a 3D model and either 3D print or have a mold made like Badass Consoles was trying to do. Um, but the other reason, and it's kind of the same thing Trey was saying, is you know why not just have it separated? I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that in the scenario of uh, digital signals like this, you have to stay as close to the console as possible, as close to the original chip. Now, maybe another few inches wouldn't have made a big difference. Um, like I said, I, I could be wrong about this. If uh, Unseen's watching, you might reach through YouTube and smack me in the face if I got it wrong. But I'm pretty sure you have to keep it as close as possible. So just adding another you know, couple of inches to it might have weird signal dropout issues. Um, but like I said, I'm not the expert. That's just uh, hopefully a lucky guess. Next, Ben Abrish. I hope I said that right, um, was talking about the Retro Fighters N64 controller, and he wanted to point out that he hopes the octagonal gate matches the N64 one, which isn't a true octagon, versus the GameCube, which is. So I, I kind of feel like stuff like this is really best uh, in an interview, because a lot of times people have valid concerns like this, and the only problem is that the answer isn't out there. So, you know, who knows? Maybe the answer is like, yeah, no problem. It's going to be right. But they didn't post it anywhere. So uh, I guess I got to ask you guys, is now the time to start separating the, um, the interviews with the weekly podcast? Because this is one of those things where I, you know, I thought I had somebody scheduled for today and that fell through, not, not their fault at all. Um, and then I could have had this guy up, but what if I didn't, I, I don't know, a bunch of basically bullshit happens all the time. So if I didn't say one pod or one interview a week for the podcast, I might actually be able to just have a couple of random interviews, but then is it like, is it less relevant? Cause it's not part of a podcast. Um, what happens if I have three interviews one week and then none for two weeks after, so, uh, Ben, that absolutely was not your question at all. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I always want to give you guys what you want to hear. And the last few times I asked about separating the interviews, the overwhelming majority was just keep it all together. So uh, who knows? Let's uh, see what you guys have to say this time and see if I can make it happen. And I have one quick Q&A for you guys, and this is way out in left field, so I'm sure most people are going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But um, does anybody know anything about hacking OPPO Blu-ray players? Because I had one years ago that you just needed the right version of the firmware, and I was looking into newer ones, uh, but my buddy Phil has one, and it's a USB stick that has to sit in the back port that I think is spoofing the MAC address or something, and uh, it's like $130 for that USB stick. So I'm guessing that it's just a very basic file, like almost like a hosts.txt file or something. Um, but I don't, don't want to mess with fills in case I break it. So if any of you guys happen to know anything about that, I was considering getting the new player, but I didn't. I just thought it was pretty ridiculous to drop that much on what probably isn't that big of a hack. So sorry for the way out in left field question, but uh, if there's any nerds on the planet that I love and respect enough that might have this answer, it sure as hell might be you guys. So if uh, any fellow crazy nerds out there know what I'm talking about, please post or email me directly, and I'd really appreciate it. And for everybody else, sorry for wasting a minute. 
Well, no interview this week. Um, I had spent the entire holiday weekend. We had a Monday off in the U.S. I spent the whole time working on this Indiegogo campaign, as well as a lot of time last week. So um, I really, you know, anybody that has any questions about that at all, please contact me because I have no problem with somebody taking a look at that and going, you know what, you know, I don't feel the need to contribute to this. That is totally fine. That is, you know, no big deal. But I really would hate if people looked at it and got the wrong impression and went, ah, screw this guy. So if you know anybody that has any questions, if you guys do, just feel free. Contact me anyway, uh, you know, whatever's easiest for you. Um, And I'm still trying to respond to every single email I get. Sometimes it's taking days to get back to people, though. And I just, I'm spending a couple hours a day on just emails. And I'm still, at least for now, having that day job. Um, I heard rumors about what might happen with that soon, too. So (laughs) maybe I'll have a lot more time for emails soon. But, um, you know, I can't wait for the forums to open up and the website. Because, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems and biggest frustrations I have is sometimes people email me with awesome support questions. Things that like they've found a problem that solves other problems and we go back and forth and figure it out and then I try my best to find time to post on the website. But if I was able to send all uh, all support requests through a forum with guys, you know, trusted people working on it because anybody that knows me at least even a little bit Uh, knows that my forums are going to be safe places to go. They're not going to be those horrible places where everybody jumps down your throat. And, you know, on the opposite side of that, there's going to be technical, you know, very technical threads where we're politely going to move the beginner questions out. I mean, I really want everybody to be comfortable, you know? Like, I don't want Kevin Horton answering a question on, you know, how to plug composite video into a flat screen. (laughs) And at the same time, you know, uh, I, I don't want... Uh, I don't want somebody coming in and asking that question and having people go, screw you, how do you not know the answer? Like, I I really, I'm going to work my butt off to make it a community that everybody can feel comfortable posting in. But even, you know, as as important as that, when we have these technical discussions, when people email me for support, it would be great if as we're talking about this stuff and as we're learning... We could just say, all right, man, really awesome that you found that. Why don't you snap some pictures and stick it on the, the wiki page? And that way we're all we're all doing this together and the information comes up immediately and we're all having a chat about it. So I just, you know, maybe uh, maybe this is a pipe dream, but I'm pretty sure we could make this a reality. All we need is the website finished and then the people to decide to come. So uh, I'm kind of going by if you build it, they will come. Let's Let's hope. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I guess I'm going to try not to ramble too much more about this. I'm just very excited, uh, looking forward to seeing what we could do with it. Uh, and once again, uh, thank you to all of the Patreons that really helped me create that Indiegogo campaign because I had been emailing uh, or I had posted like four or five different versions of that um, to try to figure out what the best way I was trying to find the best combination of getting the word out and thoroughly answering people's questions. So it was really tough because, I, you know, it's easy to make a 30-minute video, but most people aren't going to sit through it. So I tried to find a happy medium, like a one-minute intro video and then like a 14-minute full description. And if it wasn't for the help of the Patreons, I, I certainly wouldn't have been able to pull that off. 
Which is kind of funny, because when I said I would give the Patreons an, an inside look at stuff I was working on, I didn't I didn't mean for them to help me with more crowdfunding. Uh, I meant other fun stuff. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to jump in and help. I mean, there was a bunch of messages right in the Patreon app, uh, a ton of direct emails, and a few people posted on YouTube. Whatever. Whatever's easier for you. I just really appreciated all the help and support. That was freaking awesome for you guys. So... Um, hopefully I'll be back with an interview next week, uh, some cool things to announce, and uh, more progress on the Indiegogo campaign. So thanks again, and I'll see you guys next week.